Hey everyone, welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are really glad you're here today. We're really thankful you're joining us again for what I think is going to be a really special episode. Mm-hmm. And um, man, we are, we're excited. We're in the recording studio, Stace. It is, it's actually cold in here. Yes. It's still hot outside, mm-hmm. though it's fallish. You know, in Oklahoma, September is like, are we summer, are we fall? We're kind of both. Yeah. So we're still in that transition. Let's just say that today I bought a fall wreath, hoping that when I put it up, things will start to change. Yes. So, and doormat. I didn't tell you that part. I only told you about the wreath part, but I I also bought a doormat. So then it's got pumpkins all over it. So I'm going there. Yeah. We're we're welcoming fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure your efforts are going to bring the temperatures down. I am too. So it's going to work. I have a sweatshirt on right now, just anticipating it. Well, hey, today we have a friend of ours and yes. a, an expert in the field and someone we're just really excited to get to have interview, but also join us with the uh, with the podcast. Mm-hmm. So Deanna James, welcome, Deanna. Hi. We are glad you're here. And for those of you that have been listening to the Speak Out Loud podcast for a while, you'll remember, remember Deanna. Deanna was our guest kind of right before last Christmas, and mm-hmm. we did a special episode really on navigating the holidays and I'm already thinking that we'll probably re-release that right before Thanksgiving and Christmas Most this definitely. year coming up. So I think it's some mm-hmm. great information. So many of you may have already listened to that, but if you haven't or are not aware of who Deanna is, Deanna is an LPC here in Oklahoma City. And really through our connection, Deanna and I have both served on the Oklahoma Eating Disorders Association board and we've kind of built a friendship through that and just mm-hmm. a connection. Um, I was just reading through Deanna, your website, so I could actually do a good job introducing you today. <laughs> but Deanna is a certified eating disorder specialist and a registered dance movement therapist. So she has blended a number of therapies and techniques and skills into her treatment practice as an LPC. She's an expert in eating disorders. Uh, she has specializes in attachment and trauma-based disorders, body image issues, and just general life adjustment issues. I think this is a really big in the eating disorder treatment world, this is a really big certification. Right. She is a member of the International Association of Eating Disorder Professionals, yeah. which is um, a really significant thing. And Deanna, I, I, was, I always brag on this because Deanna was the <laughs> president of OEDA after my term as president and really fixed a lot of the things that, that <laughs> didn't uh, get done. But even bigger than that, Deanna led our organization through the, the, the dark the darkest days, the, those days of COVID when we were all quarantined yeah. and didn't know what to happen and really helped, helped bring OEDA through that whole ordeal quite well. So mm-hmm. I was just, and one of the things I want to say, and as, as I was looking at your website, I was maybe not most impressed, but most touched by uh, just from your very, your homepage or your website, you use this phrase that you are committed to holding compassion and hope for your clients and their families. Mm-hmm. And I thought, one, you just don't see that on a lot of therapists' website. And mm-hmm. so much is is very much the clinical focus. And certainly we want people that are very skilled clinically, but also I thought that was just so impressive. You're tapping into that right yeah. at the outset for, for your patients and those you treat. And also how well that blends with the theme of our podcast, mm-hmm. which is out of our experience and journey to share hope and encouragement for those who struggle with mental illness and those who love and support them. So the person struggling and the family, that's, that's who we're also speaking to. So Deanna, all that said, just what would you like to share about yourself? We know your world is much bigger than just your website and your practice. So It's true. Yeah. So 
Um, I live here in, I live in Edmond and um, with my husband and my two kids. Mm-hmm. And um, so our world is very busy with all the kid activities. I have a middle schooler at an elementary school age kid. Mm-hmm. And we are just, you know, busy with life and gymnastics and taekwondo and oh yeah drama and violin and just <laughs> all the things um but yeah um and i um love all things outdoors and mm-hmm. camping and adventure and all of that mm-hmm. um in addition to yes all my my clinical world and i've been in this field for a very long time and i love what i do and i love my clients so yeah, yeah. well it's very evident and mm-hmm. so you're navigating kids First time in a while for them to be at different schools. Is that yes. the situation? And so. they'll, they'll never be at the same school again. Oh, so last year was our last year. That's a big adjustment. They'll never be in the same school again. So, yeah, um, yeah it's different. Different, okay. you know, drop-off times and pick-up times yeah. and everything is different. So it, it requires a lot more coordination. We have to up our game as parents when we get there on the the shuttling system and the teamwork, mm-hmm. I think, to make all that happen. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember yeah. those days. And it's so weird. Because every day, just well, just about every day, at around four o'clock, I miss my girls more than ever. Aww. And I know the pickup lines make literally bring out the worst in people. I mean, you can have a docile, wonderful mom, <laughs> yeah. and you see a different side of her in the pickup, the pickup line. Hundred percent. I'm so lucky. We've had bus service before, oh, okay. so oh, I do great. not do pickup line uh-huh. since pre-K. They can't ride the bus because that's like Oklahoma state law. Right. But other than that, they've ridden the bus. <gasps> But now, okay. not for middle school. There's no bus service. Okay. They're too close. Mm-hmm. So he is. He got a cell phone, and he is walking home from school. Yeah. There you go. With okay. His buddies, and it's fun. That is fabulous. Right. It's, he's loving the independence. Like, that is so he, good. Yeah, it's a great. Didn't team. know if you were putting business cards on windshields in the pickup line, just as uh, you know. <laughs> she doesn't need references. It. No. no, you probably don't have any clients. You, you don't have, have no, space no available. Space. I don't. Yeah. Know. But um, yes, I would love to. Um, I don't know. Provide all the. Mental health resources, right? <laughs> That's like, right. Like a yeah. good flyer. Like, yes. here's all the places to go. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we jump in today, one thing I want to say. So you're in private practice. You've also been in the inpatient hospitalization program. So you really are very, not only well-trained, but very diverse in your background and experience. Mm-hmm. So today's topic, as we get into here in just a second, really, I would anticipate pulls from both of those perspectives. Absolutely. Especially from, from your work and treatment and working with clients, because many times uh, clients may be inpatient that have some of these struggles. So, so yeah. So with that said, today's topic, as we jump into it, is we're going to talk today about self-harm. Almost two years ago, Stacey and I started talking about doing a podcast, and we've been actually recording episodes for about a year and a half now. But this was on our original list of maybe eight to 10 topics we wanted to speak about. Mm. We're in somewhere in the neighborhood of recording 40 episodes. This is our first time to actually do an episode on this topic. Mm. We've kind of brushed by it a little bit, but we feel like it's important enough to stop and really not draw conclusions because it's so open-ended, but at the same time, just get some professional information and perspective along with me sharing more of my story with it than I ever really have. And you have written about this in your book. So Stacy's book, You're Worth Saving, has an entire chapter dedicated to this particular topic in your experience called The Cutting Truth. Mm-hmm. And we'll see how this episode goes. That actually may be the title of this episode. We're not sure yet. You know, just with this topic and as we get into the conversation about cutting, about self-harm, you know, for those listening, we just want to give a kind of a generic warning here at the front end. 
you know, we know this is a sensitive topic. Um, sometimes parents, if, if you're listening with your kids around, it may be a topic you, you don't want to listen to within their earshot where they can also hear. Although we do know, and if you've listened to our episode from early in the summer, we did with several youth pastor friends and their experiences currently just in working with students in that youth ministry perspective. Even they talked about how significant this issue is amongst today's teenagers and how they have so many parents coming to them just from the pastoral side, really saying, can you help us? And they're doing a good job, I think, of referring them to professional help. At the same time, Stacey, this is not something that is just a teen issue. So we recognize, too, that there are many, um, certainly could be parents, but also maybe people listening that have had this, had a struggle, had this experience, mm-hmm. or just want to be better prepared and how to, how to deal with that. So we just want to give that big umbrella, kind of not necessarily warning, but umbrella just overview caution. of this episode, yeah. because we do think that's important. Mm-hmm. And we think it's a, it's a really important topic to address, but just uh, to proceed with caution, possibly, if this could possibly trigger you as a listener, we want to be fair to you, but also um, maybe to those who may be listening in your car or somewhere else with you as well. So with that, we want to jump into this. Stacy, you have a story, a really powerful story in dealing with this. We also wanted to, to invite Deanna in. From the very start, when we said we want to talk about this, we knew we'd wanted a blend of, of kind of personal experience, but also professional uh, viewpoint as yeah. we talk about it. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. So many times when Stacy and I have a guest in the room, Stacy and I co-interview our friend, our guest, and, and that's how we present the podcast. Today, it's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to more or less be interviewing Deanna and Stacy, And so we're going to take it from that approach. As we jump in, let me just start with this question. And Deanna, I'm going to start with you on this one. What is usually meant when people talk about self-harm? I think it's important for folks to kind of understand what we're talking about. Is it primarily cutting or is it more than just cutting? So we talk about self-harm. The technical clinical term Mm -hmm. is is non-suicidal self-injury. And so really it can be any form of harming yourself. Mm -hmm. Typically um, about, and I kind of looked up some of the statistics, like 45% of people who self-injure report cutting as mm-hmm. like the primary behavior. So it can be any form of cutting. Um, and we, but we also see um, things like hitting yourself mm-hmm. or um, really just any way of harming yourself, yeah. you know, um, burning yourself, things like that. So it can be a lot of different types of behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time people cut or have some kind of cutting behavior, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what we mean by that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, from your perspective, has it become more prevalent in recent years, or do you think there's just a greater awareness around the issue of self-harm potentially? So it's probably what we know is it's probably a little bit of both. Again, I looked this up a little bit just to have some like solid data on it, but according to emergency room trends, um, there's been a 50% increase in reported self-harm among young females since 2009. Yeah. So since 2009, which again, that's, that's, a little bit older data, but still a 50% increase is, mm-hmm. is huge. That's huge. Um, and that's, that's going to the emergency room. So that's obviously significant right. self-harm mm-hmm. or self-injury if we're requiring an emergency room visit or it's being caught on yeah. an emergency room visit. Obviously there's lots that's, you know, going underneath the radar and um, not being noticed doesn't require medical attention or things mm-hmm. like that. So 
I would also say that people are just more aware. I think that parents are paying attention a little bit better. We're a little bit, there's a little, little less stigma around mental health and mental illness. And so people are no longer saying like, oh, that's just, that's just attention seeking or, oh, that's Mm -hmm. just this. They're realizing like, no, this could be a sign of something else. And I I need to pay attention. Right. Right. Well, and I wonder, even if with that interesting date on the statistic, and this was not a question I sent you ahead of time, is there, is there a correlation potentially to the rise in technology, social media? I mean, we're so much more interconnected than we once were. And sadly, I know there's, there's probably lots of, of just videos out there where it's either videos, could be YouTube, TikTok, any of those things where, where young people or any age person is maybe being exposed to this more than they would have been previously. Mm-hmm. Is that anything that you think you're seeing or that people are experiencing? In my, again, I'm not a social psychologist, so I don't have the information. I mean, that's literally what social psychologists study is the impact of social media on mental health and Mm -hmm. all of that. So I don't have that specific data. But what I will say is from my experience and my experience with clients, I do not see people finding out about self-harm through social media. I see them feeling seen and understood or seeing themselves and other people in social media, mm-hmm. but I don't see them learning about this behavior. And okay, also sure. I do think that at this point in time, especially platforms like TikTok and Instagram, like any mention of self-harm, self-injury, mm-hmm. any explicit content, any of that is getting taken down immediately. Yeah. So people who are even doing just awareness on self-injury have right. to be incredibly careful about not saying certain words or mm-hmm. spelling out certain words or doing things just to try to not get those videos taken down. So, yeah. which is good. I yeah. want sure. things to be really, really careful. We don't want people learning about it that way. Now, again, I'm not a social psychologist, so they might actually say, you're totally wrong. People are learning about this right. this way. And this is why we're increasing trends. So, but I, I think know. what you're seeing yeah. in your practice is really important information because you are you're seeing that at the experiential level and then dealing with clients and what they're going through. So that's that's really good insight, I think, for a lot of people. Stacy, I know in your experience with self-harm, you might even go back to a little bit of, of the beginnings for you of where that started for you and, and how you even maybe became aware of it or, or thought of that or began to be drawn into that a little bit mm-hmm. in your experience. Well, I want to start by just saying overall, I have seen hurting myself as a reaction, a result, or a kind of like a response to the frustration and confusion um, that I was either experiencing growing up and now as an adult with the diagnosis of mental illness in several areas. Um, sometimes that has just been my reaction, my response. And so I'm doing a lot of work in that and I've done a lot of work, but overall that is my go-to. It's kind of like you did this for a cause and then the effect is going to be, the result is going to be um, punishment. And so it's just kind of that black and white for me. I, when I was growing up, there was a lot of anger in my home. And with that came abusive situations and in several forms. And um, so when I was you know, having pain inflicted on me in different ways. It was a common experience for me just to kind of suffer from abuse while growing up. So when that abuse stopped, then I didn't know any different, really. It was just kind of like, 
that's what I'm used to. So I'm going to go to that myself since it's not being inflicted on me. I will do that. I will inflict it on myself. And so it's um, like a trauma reenactment, a trauma, re- a trauma reenactment. Totally. That's exactly right. And I started to do it to myself in different ways. And I would begin to crave that pain because that felt like what I deserved you know, for several different reasons, which I'll get into in a little bit. But mostly um, I would crave that pain when I failed or um, when I would miss, mess up a lot. Also, for me, it was more of a consequence of, you know, what I deserved. And so when you're in your mind, what, in you, what mind, you believe yes, you deserve. Yes, yeah, Sorry, therapist moment. <laughs> yes, what I thought I really truly deserved. And I still am shocked when. Even to this day, when there's a response that is different, when I have totally messed up, often growing up, the the discipline did not equal the, or the consequence didn't equal what had happened. And so that was very confusing to me. And so now as an adult, sometimes I can revert back to those old things that make me say, well, I still deserve that. And so it's uh, it's been quite a road in this, I will say with social media or just different things online and everything. I, uh, years ago, when I realized that there was more than just, not just cutting, but there were more ways to hurt myself, I realized, well, I have been really steeped in this more than I knew. I thought, okay, it's just the cutting, which is horrible, horrible enough. But I realized, you know, there'd been many episodes of hitting my head on corners, you know, different things and on dressers or on the bedpost or different things like that. And um, all of those became just kind of a way and an avenue for me to totally numb out early on before there were all these things um, to protect people on sites. uh, I would you know, just kind of fuel the fire inside of me by getting on like emo sites and different things like that. All of this, the sites like that were when I was an adult, Mm -hmm. I had babies sleeping in the other room. And so, yeah, it's just been a really, a really big deal. One of the main things when Doug and I got married, he, he's always been so good and so gentle with me. And when we were newlyweds, especially I, if I messed up, if I, if I did something wrong that I felt like deserved punishment, I was always so surprised that he didn't hurt me physically. I would kind of wait for it. I'd anticipate it almost. And so that's, and, and this is a good, I mean, we'd grown up in such different circumstances yeah. that too, I mean, for lack of a better word, it was kind of a a very naive leave it to beaver world leave it to beaver world for our older listeners that understand that reference that was my background and so i wasn't we weren't i wasn't even realizing you were feeling that way a lot of times mm-hmm. early in our marriage and even thinking that there was that disconnect there probably even between us and how different responses were happening mm-hmm. yeah i had to learn in those times even though it's been a big ebb and flow in our marriage and a and a common reoccurrence that uh, we, that you've taught me different in many ways, just by the consistency of not responding to me like I feel like I deserve to be responded to just because of past experiences. So, this, yeah. and, and this kind of question, Deanna, I think I would ask you, but it really ties into this and out of what our experience was talking about. 
because I was pretty naive. And I think I look back and, and certainly didn't realize the extent of Stacy's struggle and maybe even the pain that she was going through. A lot of things we share, we've learned the hard way along over these last you know number of years. But Deanna, what would what would you say are some warning signs that someone should should be looking for or just paying attention to potentially for their child or even for their spouse, their loved one that might indicate this is a struggle they're having? Obviously any any physical indications, right? If you're seeing mm-hmm. any any unexplained cuts, bruises, um, pick, I didn't mention earlier, but skin picking yeah. is a big okay. way that people or um, mm-hmm. like, just like, you know, all, all of the, like the, the nail beds being, you know, com, you know, completely like obliterated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, biting and, and bite marks, things like that. Any injuries that just really aren't explained and then kind of become routine. Like you're seeing that more regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing someone wear long sleeves in mm-hmm. when it's not freezing in a podcast room. Sure. Uh, yeah. When it's, you know, when it's not weather appropriate, we're wearing right. long sleeves, we're wearing long pants. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not weather appropriate. Just poor explanations for injuries mm-hmm. and things yeah. like that. Also, um, in terms of cutting, like having sharps around, like mm-hmm. things that don't make sense. I mean, obviously we would see a razor in a bathroom, but if the razor is disassembled or mm-hmm. we're seeing, you know, just like nobody really uses open blade razors anymore. That's not a thing that people really use. And so if we have those lying around and we're, mm-hmm. it's not in an art studio, there's really no reason for that. Yeah. But right. sharps around, sharps by the bedside, mm-hmm. table, things like that. Again, that just, they don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are all warning signs and can be definitely warning signs for teens and things like that. If you're seeing sharps in their room, again, just, and, and injuries that don't make sense. Um, yeah. and just being more secretive, secretive around behavior, secretive around, I mean, obviously everybody has the right to privacy when, uh, in terms of changing and showering and all that kind of stuff. But if we're noticing like abnormal, like need for privacy, even while like, you know, like pushing up, you know, the arm of their shirt or, or things mm-hmm. like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. Anything you would add? I feel like when you were talking about inappropriate, um, well, not the right type of clothing and everything, I, I want to just insert there. The reason behind that in my experience has been because it's sneaky, you know, everything, you know, that is wrong that I've done in my life as a, as a learned response, kind of, uh, as, I've gotten older and I haven't needed to have that response is sneaky now, Mm -hmm. you know, why, why is it sneaky? Because I know it's wrong. I know it's scary or I know, I know that I'm needing help. Right. Which is why we point so much to this is not an attention seeking behavior. Yeah. Right. This is a desire certainly to be seen in your pain or, 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 um, for some people. Mm-hmm. And, and we can talk about that later, more of the functions of it for different people. Right. But it's not attention seeking. Yeah. It's not, hey, here, look at me, look at these scars. It's 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 hidden, it's covered. You know, this is right. is not typically something that that somebody's gonna talk about. Mm-hmm. You might have a teenager maybe talking about it with their friends, or if they have friends who are also engaging in that behavior, sure. but they're certainly not like bringing it to their parents' attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think something you just said, Stacey, too, made me, made me think about this. And, and so our experience for a number of years, going back you know, over 15 years ago now, was in working with students in a church context. You know, I think at those, even thinking back to 15, 25 years ago when we were really getting into that, I think a lot of times some of these behaviors would get a moral component attached to it, mm-hmm. that somehow, um, 
you know, this is, we, we use the words like wrong or right mm-hmm. or sinful or whatever. But I think in reality, it's really reflective of a mental illness or a mental health struggle yes. more than a moral choice. I think, I think that's the key component there is like someone's not necessarily making a moral choice to hurt themselves. It, it is reflective of a, a deeper illness, health, mental health struggle they're going through. Mm-hmm. So I think, Deanna, just any experience you've had in, in helping either clients or maybe even their family members kind of navigate through a better understanding of, of self-harm from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, obviously we try to frame all of clients' struggles through a non-shaming approach and through a non-morality approach, that that all of these things are morally neutral. They are red flag waving saying, I'm not okay. Things are not okay with me and I need help. Whether that is spoken or certainly, obviously, if we're talking about teenagers, you were not able to say that. We're not able to say like, I'm not okay here. Um, And and so behaviors and different things can be ways that we try to get that attention Mm -hmm. and let people know I'm not okay. But um, it's not a moral issue. It is absolutely a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. It is about, you know, you shared a little bit, Stacey, about what this does for you. And I think Mm -hmm. that's so important to understand is like the function of, you know, self-injury for people is different. Yeah. There's a ton of different ways that this can function for mm-hmm. an individual. And so um, any examples that we give, this is not an all-inclusive list. This is right. just sure. an example of like, for some people, it aids in emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps them disconnect from their body. Maybe mm-hmm. they have, you know, um, PTSD or body traumas or things like that, that they're wanting to disconnect from the body. It can make the internal pain or emotional pain visible. Mm-hmm. Um, it can just cause a sense of relief and release. The tension is building, the tension is building. And so getting that sense of relief, um, it can be emotional expression for people. Um, it can be a distraction. It can make you feel something other than numb or it can make you feel numb. Yeah. yeah. So it's, there's so many ways that, that this can function for people and understanding mm-hmm. that that's the whole key is that that's what we want to understand. And that's what, you know, therapy is for, or processing is for us to get to that idea of like, what function is this serving for you so that we can get those needs met a different way. But if we look at it as a moral issue, if you're just doing this to just, you know, to be doing it or to, to get attention or just to cut, or there's something wrong with you, then we're never going to get to what is it doing? And then we're not going to get any help. That's right. I think that's so important to understand because even going back to some of my kind of rudimentary training or understanding about mental health and working with young people, there was kind of this, this very limited view of what cutting might be doing. It was about control, focusing pain for control purposes. And I think it's just very helpful for me to even hear you say and understand, maybe there's one avenue for one, you know, for some people that is, that is the, the, the relief or the purpose behind it, but it, it has other quite a few much wider purposes or uses when somebody's inflicting self-harm upon themselves. Well, the the things that you just talked about, Deanna, the things that you just listed and everything, I can say yes to all those. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just not this one tunnel vision type thing. Now, the result that you think you need or want out of it might stay relatively similar or it has in my life, but what the way to accomplish it has been all those things. Yeah. All those things. Because, and I also think just backing up a touch that I think sometimes kids try to say stuff, but because we don't know what they mean or because they don't know how to articulate it, perhaps 
sometimes if you're not a trained professional, you go, I wouldn't have picked up on that no matter what. And sometimes, you know, kids do cry for help and different things like that. And it's a misunderstanding or a loss in translation of what is going on. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sometimes I have said, this is what's going on with me. And sometimes you just have to go, you know what? I I didn't know how to say it. And this is what happened as a result of that. But we're getting better. Mm -hmm. You know, we're working on things and we're getting better Um, at 10 years old. If I would have told somebody something that was happening in my home, they would have discounted it 100%. And so I stopped talking. And then I started acting out on my body. And so that's what turned into the eating disorder and all these things, you know, over time. And so I just feel like, you know, I think we've come a long way in being able to say, you know what, Deanna, you just said a teenager does not know how to articulate that. Thank you. <laughs> they don't. Because they don't. Yeah. No, we don't have it. We literally don't have the emotional at, at really, honestly, right? Our brains don't develop until 25. Yeah. So most of the time before that, unless someone has had a lot of therapy or a lot of practice, they literally don't have the emotional intelligence to express what it is they're feeling, what mm-hmm. it is that's going on inside. It's just, you know, like I think about like, you know, even, even my own kid, like, getting frustrated and mad at himself yeah. about making a mistake or whatever. And just like hitting his head yeah. and sure. me being able to be like, Oh no, no, we don't, we don't do that. Like right. we meet ourselves with kindness and understanding and, mm-hmm. and it's okay. We, we make mistakes and we all go, Oh, okay. I made a mistake. We don't have to hit ourselves, but like, that's just an automatic response. Like that wasn't sure. even like, he's obviously never been hit for making a mistake, sure. but, yeah. but it's an automatic thing. But if, mm-hmm. but if we're not paying attention or we're not noticing, all of a sudden that becomes the thing we do every time we make a mistake. And then if there's no emotional outlet and there's no way to process it, that can grow and grow and grow. So mm-hmm. it's not always that, you know, there's some horrible thing going on or some, you know, trauma going on in the family or whatever. Like this is just a sign that something's not okay. Yeah. Right. And we need to be curious That's about right. what that is. And if you're in community with somebody who, you know, without a doubt is not, treating themselves like Deanna just talked about just the basic kindness for themselves, just the most basic things, do the hard things, say what is going on. You know, it's so easy to bypass people and just go, well, they'll figure it out or they'll work it out. Now, does that mean that everybody who messes up and gets upset with themselves is cutting or self-abusing themselves? No, absolutely not. But what would one one more question or a little bit more time spent with somebody accomplish a great amount so that that way you can see if you need to get them to help, um, even to talk about what's going on. If they're at the very, very beginning, why let it progress? It's mm-hmm. just. And Stacy, I think, I think what you're describing and things you're talking about Deanna too, are really part of the birth and the creation of the name speak out loud for what we're doing and what you do in so many different areas it was because, you know, for so many years, you, you would say and you've said the eating disorder or self-harm was a way to try to speak and just try to say, just like you said, Dan, Deanna, I'm, I'm not right. Something's not right. I need help. And raising my hand to say that and, and whether it be me not being fully aware and having to grow into that or, or others in your life, I think there wasn't the realization that, oh, this is reflective of such a deep illness that needs to be addressed. And, and, you know, just like someone might be experiencing symptoms of, of, a, of another kind of illness and, you know, we're not shaming or judging them for that. We're saying, you know, you ought to go to a doctor, get that checked out, right? Whether it's 
you know, a constant pain in my knee or mm -hmm. a chest pain I somebody may be having. It's like, uh, you need to go to the doctor. And I think self-harm is, is very similar and reflective of that as well. Mm -hmm. Deanna, a couple questions just from a professional standpoint too. And Stacey, even maybe in your life, you could, from your experience, speak into this. But when people look at cutting and other forms of self-harm, is that for professionally, from a therapeutic standpoint, is it considered addictive behavior? And can it develop into addictive behavior potentially? Yeah. So, you know, anything that we're doing compulsory mm -hmm. is, is an addictive behavior. Mm -hmm. So yeah. anything that is, I do this, I get this result, then we get into that addictive cycle of pressure builds, pain builds, emotional distress builds, all of that. I need to do this behavior in order to feel better. Mm -hmm. And then I engage in that behavior. So self-harm would be considered what's called a process addiction, meaning it is not chemically addictive. There's no chemical there. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not like substance abuse or alcohol or any of those kind of things, but it's a process addiction. Mm -hmm. It's I engage in this process mm -hmm. and I feel better. If it wasn't working, you wouldn't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's not the healthiest thing. We want to develop other skills and other ways to make ourselves feel better, mm -hmm. but it's doing something. And right. so, yes, absolutely. It's an addictive cycle. It also can be a part of OCD mm -hmm. um, in terms of like just that obsessive compulsive cycle. And mm -hmm. I see a lot this overlap between self-injury behavior and OCD behaviors, meaning that the self-injury has to be a certain amount of times or in a certain pattern or mm -hmm. in a certain way, certain time of day, whatever, some form of like compulsory around um, a pattern and a cycle. And so mm -hmm. I think that's an important thing to note that that can kind of be a, a confluence of things. Gotcha. Totally makes sense because I said this, I feel the same way. I said anything really, in my opinion, that I do to myself to numb out on a regular basis is an addiction in my life because it's taking the place of something else that's productive. Mm -hmm. And so when I have to have that, when I have to have anything and it's kind of, well, in a way controlling my life or making me feel opposite, you know, like I'm controlling something, it's a, it's a thing. Yeah. And I think what's, what you've said is, is really important to understand, too, is that for family members, for loved ones who are friends, even who may be observing this behavior and, and they say, OK, we're going to get to a therapist. We're going to get to a doctor, whoever, to deal with X, to deal with the cutting, to deal with the self-harm. But to understand, really, it's not about teaching you how to stop that. It's about dealing with the things that are, like you said, it's, it's dealing, it's stepping, it's going three steps back in the process to say, let's deal with that. Because mm -hmm. if we can deal with that and find relief, we're going to get right. relief from the actual behavior of self-harm. Right. Yeah. Or I'll just find something else. Absolutely. Sure. We can play whack-a-mole all day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and, and that's something, I mean, teenagers are really good at being resourceful. Mm -hmm. We're all good at being resourceful, but, um, but they're amazing. They're really amazing <laughs> sure. at being resourceful. Yeah. Really are. And so they're like, I think, I think humans in general, right. We're really good at it. And so we'll find a way to feel better. We'll yeah. find a way to numb out. We'll find a way to feel better. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, and that is why, um, like cognitive behavioral therapy. Great. Mm -hmm. It's a great band aid. It's great at helping. It's all of that, but it has a six month efficacy. Wow. Why? Because you'll just play whack-a-mole. You'll just find sure. something yeah. else to do. Yeah. So we can identify, here's my thought process. Here's my behaviors. Here's mm -hmm. my here's my chain. Here's what it does. Great. Yeah. But if we don't go back and figure out what's causing you to believe those thoughts in the first place, mm -hmm. what is going on here? What's the bigger picture? What's underlying this again? What are the functions of these behaviors? All of that, we won't get better. 
Gotcha. Yeah. So it's like I always say CBT is necessary, but not sufficient. Sure. Right. It's absolutely necessary. We got to stop the behavior. We got to get you safe. We got to get mm-hmm. things under control. Mm-hmm. But if we don't look at what else is going on, whether that be, you know, a trauma therapy that needs to happen or, mm-hmm. a, you know, any number of things that might need to happen, just building up friendships and community and whatever sure. it is, yeah. we're not going to get better. Okay. I so agree. And kind of case in point with a, an example of, you being so right on, Tina, again, is uh, when I did go to eating disorder treatment, it was considered a mental hospital because it's a mental illness. When I was in there, they would do anything to keep us safe. And the more trauma that I was dealing with, that my friends, my new friends were dealing with and everything, the more vigilant they had to be in keeping us safe. Um, because I felt like, okay, I've numbed out all this time on, you know, lack of nutrition, malnourishment. Now I'm starting to get nourished. I'm starting to feel these things and think better. Oh no. Right. And so when that started happening, I was like, okay, when I was there, I started doing more acting out of the, um, of the self-harm and everything. If there was a pencil, if there, I mean, very, very normal things to be out, I could find a way. And it was just another symptom of me going, I'm screaming on the inside. I just need help getting it on the outside so that that way I will stop looking for any way to be self-destructive. And when I was having to eat, because I chose to, because I chose to go to treatment and stay there till I learned a lot about being on the outside of a treatment center, I found that those things were just toxic and I had to be watched a lot more. Um, I share in my book also and on different things that, you know, when I, when the girls were a lot younger, I had to go to a mental hospital for just hurting myself, just beating myself up. And, um, you know, they didn't let me go to the restroom by myself. They didn't let me do this by myself or that by myself, but it's because they know just how difficult and angry the brain can be. So, I mean, I've had a long line of these things. And even today in counseling, I learned more about Stacey, what would you have said to Shelby or Riley or somebody else if they would have done the exact same thing? What would you have said to them? And I just cried because I was like, nothing like what I say to myself. Mm-hmm. Nothing. We're not even in the same ballpark. Yep. Your and thoughts are like, a lot kinder towards them, certainly, than to yourself right, internally. So not, we not, always not, say, if you sure. could yeah. just talk to yourself like you talk to literally any other human any on the planet, other human being you'd be like all better that's right mm-hmm. that is so true so all of that you know just is was brought up in my mind as you were saying that Deanna yeah. just the just what we'll do to to either be present or or numb out either way and that's that addictive cycle we're, we're addicted to the numbing mm-hmm. right that's the process and so if, if our if our brain doesn't get Whatever chemicals it's getting from that action, whether it's from self-injury or um, eating disorder or whatever, like it's going to find a way to get yeah. those chemicals. Yeah. yeah. It will find a way. Again, mm-hmm. we're really resourceful. And that's why I always focus on that's a positive thing. We're really resourceful, which means we can use our resources for good. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Deanna, this is, this is a question. I think Stacey and I have both had this question mm-hmm. because I think, and partly in your experience, Stacey, there was a time certainly when you were really struggling with suicidal thoughts and even suicide attempt it was in a similar season when you were also 
really struggling with some self-harm, you know, in that kind of context, we, in some ways, put those two things together, that those are tied together. Deanna, you, in your definition earlier of self-harm, mm-hmm. it, it was what non-suicidal self-injury. self-injury. Mm-hmm. So from a professional standpoint, is there a view that, that self-harm cutting, is it somewhat of an indication that someone is suicidal or is, are the two things separate? I believe, and and again, even like the um, Society of Suicidality and everything would say, we've really got to keep them separate. Okay. Mm-hmm. That typically cutting or anything like that is non-suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, accidental injury can occur. That's right, yeah. And so we have to be really careful about that because mm-hmm. accidental injury and severe cutting absolutely can lead to death, um, especially if not treated. Um, in the majority of self-injury or cutting behavior, it is not suicidal in nature, no one is wanting to die even. Now, you can have someone who is self-injuring and and engaging in those behaviors and who is suicidal. Like, you can absolutely have intense suicidal ideation, want to die, all of that, and actually be trying to manage that Mm -hmm. with self-injury. If Mm -hmm. I can just get a little bit of relief, if Mm -hmm. I can just feel a little bit better, be a little bit more numb, then I won't engage in my suicide plan. Gotcha. So I, it's very, I think it's really important to, to understand that they're, that they're separate, but they can coexist mm-hmm. right? just like anything else. Um, I think that's really important to, to, to kind of understand that distinction. And Stacey, without me putting words in your mouth, I, that was probably descriptive of, of your experience because when you were wrestling with both those, those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I couldn't put it better than what you said, though, Deanna. It's a separate thought. It's a separate process. And what I, either way, when I've done, when I've experienced both of those things, I've wanted someone to love me enough to not freak out, but to get me to help, even in the base of it. I mean, whether that looked like one, once a month counseling, accountability from a professional, whatever it looked like, I was just going, can somebody just hear me? Yeah. Um, and does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Um, I I do just want to say when, because anytime we talk about, you know, suicidal behavior, I always want to throw in my, you know, just a little bit of suicide awareness of like sure. things to watch for, for that specifically are like someone who is, you know, making a plan or researching ways mm-hmm. to die, trying to obtain means like obtain um, a knife, obtain a gun, like things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Any kind of lethal means. Um, withdrawing from friends, saying goodbye to people, writing letters to people, finding journal entries of practice letters, things like that. Um, not that I think you should be searching through your child's journal. I don't. I'm a big proponent of your journal is yours. Your phone I can look at. Good. That's so. Good um, anyway, um, giving away important items. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, making or revising a will taking dangerous risks such as like driving fast or anything like that, displaying extreme mood swings, eating or sleeping more or less, and then using drugs or alcohol more often. Those are all of our warning signs of that. And obviously that's very separate from what we're going to see in those warning signs of self-injury. Yeah. So, so true. that's why they're so separate. And as we we're recording this in early September and Deanna, you were talking about how September is suicide and self-harm Awareness Month is that the proper term for right. it? Or? Yeah, so I know it's yeah, it's suicide and mental health and and in that form of mental health awareness, and then um, there's oftentimes self injury awareness that goes mm-hmm. along with gotcha. that um, because typically with both of those we're targeting youth populations. Mm-hmm. And sure, like that. 
And, and while we're on that topic and we'll, we'll move on, but I think it's, I, I appreciate you sharing that mm-hmm. for training for the, for loved ones. And also for someone that may be listening that is struggling, if they are concerned that maybe someone is at risk of suicide attempt mm-hmm. or potentially someone is really struggling with some of those issues themselves. And, and, and that's, they, they, they're scared because of where they think they're headed. Who should they contact? What should they do? What would, what would you just say they need to do right off the bat? Right. So we now, as of July, have um, dedicated mental health 988. Yep. Yeah. That's what you're going to do. You're going to mm-hmm. call 988. Here in Oklahoma, wonders upon all wonders, um, mm-hmm. we're doing a better job. Um, you actually get connected with um, mental health professionals here in the state. Okay. Um, and the only time you would go over to the national hotline is if those, you know, those calls were overloaded for a particular reason or something like that. But they will connect you with what are the services in your area, with counselors in your area, with all kinds of resources in your specific area, as well as help you get to an emergency department, or even hopefully the goal is to get you directly to um, psychiatric care if it's an emergency. So you don't spend 48 hours in an emergency room that you actually right. go directly to the uh, mental health hospital. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So that's fantastic. And so 988 is essentially that's the new fantastic. version of 911 for mental health crisis. Yes. Correct. And if you do call 911, they're going to route you over to 988 um, gotcha. unless mm-hmm. it's a medical emergency. Mm-hmm. Right. But that is a nationwide number right. um, that does everywhere take you to the suicide and, and mental health hotline. But again, here in Oklahoma, that's going to route you to specific people here in the state. Okay. That's really good to know. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's it's important for us to, to have those those resources um, at the ready if, if we need them for sure. I have a question really for both of you. But Stacey, I wanted to start with you and, and speaking out of your experience and really even speaking maybe out of our relationship, you know, for many loved ones, family members, parents, spouses, who friends even, it may be difficult if, the, if they're not experiencing this struggle. It's like in anything, it's hard for us to really understand what someone else is going through without really trying to dig in and, 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 and invest in understanding. But I think from in the mental health world, I'm speaking out of my experience, that's really hard at the outset. I think I, I know for sure I've had to grow into it and I'm not there all the way. I mean, I still have to grow and learn and, and sort of could be doing better in a lot of those areas. Stacy, what is something, particularly in the area of self-harm, mm-hmm. what is something could be me in our relationship or somebody else that you wished early on maybe someone would know, like just to help them to better understand what's going on and why is this happening for you and what does it mean? I think that it's almost like when you ask that question, it's like in my mind, just all of these um, red flags are going off and they're loud and they're like sirens and everything because there are so many different ways that it scares me for people who are in the new season of this possibly. Which angle can they even start from? It's an overwhelming thought. It's an overwhelming question. I think we've come a long way and you've come a long way um, in this, that just because someone has overcome something doesn't mean they can continue to. Just because somebody has made it through one crisis doesn't mean they can continue to do that. I know that you had seen me overcome a lot of really difficult things. And I didn't mean to be storing those hurts and pains and traumatic situations away. 
I think I was trying just to take a step and breathe. And when I couldn't do that anymore, no one knew what to do with me because I had never said help. Yeah. Well, and you'd never been afforded the opportunity to get help. I mean, this Mm -hmm. just wasn't for, for all kinds of economic, cultural, familial. I mean, pick the, pick the reason, you know, help wasn't available. And I think um, that's probably why you got to the place you got to, certainly, mm-hmm. and, and things became so desperate so quickly. I think so, too. And I can just remember the slow unfolding in my mind really being a rapid pace because I had journals. I had taken myself out of the picture, and I was trying to buy time with self-harm in my life. I do understand what you're saying, though, Deanna, of it being two different tracks. And I think they changed regularly for me. Um, I think sometimes I was going, I really want to be here, but not in this brain. I really want to survive. I want to be the wife and mom and Christian mom and, and Christian friend and all these things. But I am failing at it because I don't even know what's going on within me. All I know is... I am not who I was a year ago. On the outside, I may look like it, but on the inside, I am absolutely crumbling. And I can remember on Saturday nights, us sitting in the garage and me being out there going, please, please hear me on this. And you, and rightly so, were trying to keep your job so that we could pay for me to go to counseling. (laughs) It's all intertwined in there. And it's very complicated. And... I think you were scared of me. You were scared every day when you came home. And I was scared every day for you to go to work. So I just see it just firing off so many different ways. That is the reason why I have agreed to talk about this or anything is because we want to say to you, if you're scared for somebody in your life, if you feel like they are out of control, err on the side of, I would rather them get help and end up not needing it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then them err sure. on the side of needing help desperately because they never have had to have that help. And it helped to save somebody from hurting themselves or um, from having to be secretive or from doing what I did and creating a plan to take myself 100% out of the picture. And that's why we wanted you in here, Deanna, because we need some, we need some guidelines and that's exactly what you've been providing for us because I don't want people to hear this podcast and then go, I'm scared to do anything and I'm scared not to do anything. Mm. Um, I think, I think we can do better than that. Absolutely. We err on the side of caution. Like like you said earlier, you were saying like, just, I just wish like, you know, that people would just be able to just listen without panicky, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that's huge. If you are seeing someone in your life struggle or whatever, one, we're going to remember this is not attention seeking behavior. Yeah. And yet um, it can fulfill a need from caregivers um, in terms of like, can you, can you just notice, can you just notice that I'm not okay here? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. that then we want to just sit down and listen. Yeah. yeah. What are you feeling? What is going on? Be really curious, be really open. Um, be calm. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. we want to just, we want to not create a crisis yes. around it. Because mm-hmm. um, if there's one, we're going to find out anyway. But it's just like, what I didn't need was somebody to come and sit with me and wig out. Yes. I, sometimes I can just, if somebody will just sit with me for a few minutes and make it to the next moment, I'm I'm okay. Yep. I'm okay. If I can just get that, get let that time pass. Right. And does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And so we want to sit with people. We want to listen. And then also we want to be able to say like, I th- help guide people towards obviously those professional resources. Absolutely. Because we don't, you don't want to be the one assessing, is this really severe self-harm? Is this suicidal behavior? Don't Mm -hmm. assess that. You don't know how to assess that. And it's okay to not know how to assess that. It's okay to stay in friend zone. It's okay to stay in. Absolutely. I don't, I mean, like I'm super trained and I don't always assess it right. Mm -hmm. So I really don't want anybody who's not trained trying to assess, Mm -hmm. but we can be with people. We can be open. We can be not judgmental. We can not engage in that morality Mm -hmm. talk. We can just be open and listen, not have a crisis and then say, okay, I hear you. And I know that we just got through this moment and you're feeling better, but that doesn't mean you're going to feel better tomorrow. So what's our plan? Mm -hmm. Because you're not necessarily going to feel better tomorrow just because you feel better in this moment. That's so perfect. So let's, let's come up with a plan. Do you already have a team? Let's make sure you just tell your team that you had a hard time Mm -hmm. tonight. Send them, you know, an email or whatever, whatever way you communicate. Mm -hmm. And let's just make sure they know that you had a hard time tonight. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't have a team, let's get you one. Let's help you. Mm -hmm. Let's help you make an appointment. Let's get you to that appointment, all that kind of stuff. And everything you just said, I would feel cared for. I would be cared. I would feel like, okay, I am, we're going to get to the bottom of this so that I don't have to go lower and whatever that may have looked like for anybody. Um, I feel cared for when you just said those things. And so I think that's one thing that when we're in denial, that cared for does not happen. And sometimes I just wanted to know that I'm, that that's happening. And you've, wanted to communicate that with me again. That's why we do this podcast is to help you know the things that you can skip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and well, just, um, yeah. And I, and I, as you said that denial, that was actually in my head to talk about because I thought Stacy, in when you really were, I'd say for lack of a better word, the early days of this in our relationship, but mm-hmm. also probably the worst days of it. It was probably mm-hmm. in that same season. I think my initial responses were a blend of, denial because I was overwhelmed by it and didn't know definitely, what to do. So I'm like, and you know, going to go to work, pretend it's not happening. But yeah. at the same time, it's really powerful for it to hear what you're saying is like, didn't, when, when your loved one or friend is in denial about it, you're not feeling like, Oh, this is all good. You're fe- the message you're hearing is I'm not screaming loud enough by what I'm doing. So apparently I need to do something else, something more, something worse because you're not seeing how sick I am or the people around me are not seeing how sick I am. Yeah. And I don't think those are necessarily so, conscious thoughts. I think a right. lot of times yeah. it's completely right. unconscious of too. just like I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm raising the red flag or, or white flag or yeah. whatever. And I'm saying I'm not okay. And then nothing happens. I'm, right. Or I met with that night with a little bit of kindness and help, but nobody helps me get to a counselor or helps me get treatment or helps me get to a hospital. Nothing really happens. When right. I'm just trying to get up and brush my teeth and stand right. up. And, yeah. and, I, and I see that a lot. I see a lot of oh, just wonderful, beautiful families who are trying to be supportive and they're supportive in the moment as best they can be. But then there's no follow through. There's yeah. no next step. Mm-hmm. And that sends the message 
of, okay, but you got it now, right? You're good. We're good now. And it's not intentional. It's just, um, when you don't struggle with mental illness, you don't realize it's a day in day out struggle that doesn't go away. It's, it's not getting better. And so you just, okay, we're good. Yeah. And if we can just remember that follow through, follow through with a plan, whether that's a plan to, you know, again, get this person in, you know, treatment or to a psychiatrist or hospital or whatever you think that is the next right thing. Mm -hmm. Let's get them to yeah. that next right thing. And be understanding so that so good. It, it's not necessarily as, it's certainly not as simple as I had a sore throat. I went and got some medicine, took it for three days and I'm all better. And now I don't have sore throat anymore and it's gone. It, I think it's so important to understand. And I had to, I had to really grow into this for sure that, okay, you went and saw a therapist. Oh, it's so good. We're like you said, we're all good now. No, it's not that way. And I think that's where families and loved ones really have to be understanding. This is this is lengthy. I'm in it for the long haul. There's ups and downs. There's good days and bad days. But in the end, you know, support and help and moving in that right direction is what's gonna what's gonna provide recovery in the long run. Right. You, but it's you, not gonna be in the short term. You have a type one diabetic now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we're going to have good days. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have days where it comes out of nowhere. You don't even understand why your blood sugar and your mental health is all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And so just understand like this is a long haul, like all mental illness is a long haul disease. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it gets better for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. way better, but understanding that like there's going to be ups and downs and we can't just go, okay, so you went, we can't just go, okay, you're good for tonight. You're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then we can't just go the next step. Okay, we got you to a counselor. You're good, right? It's mm-hmm. constant like, okay, how are we at? It's constant taking that temperature, checking in, you know, how are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And listening, you know, listening to your loved one with with how they're doing. But mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, I love, I always use, you know, diabetes or any kind of chronic illness to understand like it's not, it's not going anywhere. So we just, we have to be willing to keep treating it. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important for people to understand. It's Thank just you. so critical. And, and the one thing before I go on to the next question, I would say too, thinking back to our experience, Stacy, was certainly, I think for me, what I had to learn not to do was to try to treat the outward expression of it and, and just assume like, okay, just stop, right? Let's just, let's, let's, if I can make you feel better in the short term, then you can stop doing this. And I think, and I still fall in that trap thinking somehow I've got to fix it. I can make you feel better. And realizing that's not really, there's certainly a lot of things I can do. That's not necessarily my responsibility, but also it's not, it's not that choice, right? It's not just like, oh, now we're getting in a place where because it is, it's not a moral decision. It's not, Stacy, today you choose right, tomorrow you choose wrong. It's an expression of an illness that is ongoing. And so I think early on, particularly, I was just trying to come in and say, hey, don't choose to do that. Well, you're looking at me like, I'm not choosing to do this. This is something much deeper than that. And I really had to get to where I understood that. And well, and in terms of self-injury, I think one of the things that, that loved ones and family members try to do is, well, we'll just like remove the things. So we'll put, we'll make sure there's no sharps in the house and we'll make sure that, you know, they don't, that we lock all the knives up and we'll make sure we do this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. And that might be necessary for a period of time. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, to reduce access. But again, you know, you talked about like you can use a pencil, you can use a thumbtack, you can mm-hmm. use the end of a spiral, like you can use anything. We were yeah. resourceful human yeah. beings. So that's not that's not really it's not a long term solution. Long, it's not a solution at all. No. And so understanding that like, okay, we can we can work on a plan together so that you don't have easy access, but let's let's also work on a, a plan that 
actually addresses the underlying issue. Yeah. That's so good. We talk a lot about maybe what families and loved ones should and shouldn't do. How can someone begin the conversation? Like if you're concerned that your loved one, your friend is really struggling with this, um, what are some, some guidance you might give on how do you start the conversation? And then maybe what are some things to say and not to say? Sure. So we're going to begin a conversation. We're going to set a time to talk. That's so important. Like not just like, um, you know, just jumping on someone when they first get home from work or school or like just like barging into, you know, the bedroom or whatever. Like we're going to set a time to talk. We're going to be like, hey, I just can like, can we set a time to talk about some things that I am concerned about? Mm-hmm. That's it. And then, you know, and then we, we talk about that. And maybe don't set that for like a week from now because then that person's going to obsess about what are we about to talk about exactly. for a whole week. Sure. That is yeah. misery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we just say, hey, in, in half an hour, is it a good time to talk or whatever? Sure. You know, or is now a good time to I talk? I can do that. I can yes. do that. <laughs> so just just being clear on that. Um, mm-hmm. So then we're going to set a time to talk. We're going to make sure that we're alone, that it's quiet, it's calm. There's not, you know, um, we're not you know, the night before, if we're talking about adolescence, we're not the night before a big test. If we're talking about adults, we're, you know, we don't have a crying baby in the background, whatever. Like mm-hmm. we're making it as calm as possible. And then we're being curious and open. We're saying, Hey, I've noticed some injuries. I've noticed some cuts or I've noticed a bunch of bruises or whatever. And I'm really mm-hmm. worried about you. I'm like, and I know you've kind of explained all those things away maybe, or you've given me a bunch of excuses. I just want you to know, like, I'm, I'm concerned and I'm kind of not buying it. What is going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, and then you're just listening yeah. and and trying to be open. And this may be com- an ongoing conversation. That person might not be ready to talk about it. Then they might deny it. And then they might come back to you a week later and say, Hey, you know how you talk to me about this? I actually am struggling with that. And so, and then again, we're offering help or, or we're okay. Let's get you some help. Let's, we, we're not going to solve this together. Like let's, let's find somebody that can help treat you. Let's mm-hmm. get you um, on a waiting list if we need to, whatever we need to do. Like I want to help you. And then mm-hmm. offering, you know, resources of books and articles about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you reading those things yourself as a loved one, being really um, just empathetic, listening, understanding. And we've talked about it all like non-judgmental, all of that really, really leading with curiosity and compassion mm-hmm. always. Well, and I think it's so important to just certainly those conversations are not easy. They can be difficult. So from both sides, you're probably coming into it with some apprehension and some anxiety. So it takes courage. But I think the person initiating that conversation, it's worth having the courage and because you're, you're loving your friend, you're loving your loved one by being courageous. At the same time, I think it's it's not surprising if you get a defensive response. Not at all. And so I think it's really important to understand that you may not resolve it in a 30-minute conversation. It may be they walk away defensive and denying it. The next time they really have a struggle, they may come back, at least because they know you care and they know that there's an awareness there. They might then call you or pull you aside and say, i got to be honest, yeah, this is really going on. And, and that's when the openness comes to get help. Right, and that's I see that being the course of things most often. Mm. I see someone coming and saying, Hey, I'm noticing this, or I'm concerned about this. The person getting defensive or angry or frustrated. I can't believe you would think that about me. I would never, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then being like, Oh, okay. Well, just know if you are ever struggling with that, Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk with you about it. Just leaving that door open. Yeah. Just like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. If you do struggle, let me know. And then, like you said, they might then come back. Yeah. Yeah. 
a week, a month, a year later, you've opened the door and that's all we're doing. It's all you can do. Because I think the person that's struggling, they're, they're anticipating judgment and shame. Yes. Because they're judging and shaming themselves. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think that you, you may have to be consistent in demonstrating, I am not judging you. I'm not shaming you to, to get a conversation going. Right. Because I was just even thinking about, you know, maybe talking to a teenager, Certainly, they're going to deny and lie and, and push it off. We as adults are going to do the same thing. But it's because they, this is bad, but the judgment and shame is worse. I don't want to, I want to avoid that at all costs. Right. And, and we're all, it's human nature. We're all like that. And, and no matter what we're struggling with, you know, we're, we struggle to be honest about our, our struggles. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the reality. And, and some things not to say, um, what are you doing? Why yeah. are you doing this? Don't you know this is bad for you? Don't you care that you're going to have scars? Don't, like any statements like that. Right. Don't you, I can't believe like what's wrong with you. And I, I mean, you would be surprised how often that is what my clients tell me they are met with by family yeah. and friends. It's very common for them, you know, to be accused. Yeah. We're told like, this is ridiculous. You, why are you, why are you doing this? All that kind of stuff. And yeah. so there's a fear that everyone will be like that mm-hmm. and they won't. There are loving, kind, wonderful people yeah. who will listen and mm-hmm. be empathetic. And I could almost, as you're saying that, it's almost like if you are the person, imagine if you're if you're going to your loved one and the way you're coming across is you're pointing a finger in their face. Because everything you just said, I can almost imagine it's like feeling like there's a finger pointing in my face. Even if you are angry about it, step back and, and avoid that finger pointing tone, phrase, word, because you're just going to put up more walls Yes, yeah. the, the two then, words I think of is shut down. <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's, that's the best description. And, yeah, exactly. But, but look how different it is when you say, Deanna, what's going on? As opposed to what do you think you're doing? Yep. Yeah. All the difference in the world. That's the difference in having a conversation or totally not. Because when I've been in those deep, dark places um, and I have been asked different things like that, the way the question's even phrased. I mean, that is the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Night and day. So a little bit different question here, and I want you both to speak to this also. So for the person who is struggling, maybe, you know, from a standpoint as as a professional therapist, working with them as a client um, or just even as a friend, what would you say, hey, if they come and they say, I want help, I need help. What are some of those very initial things that you would that maybe they should do, start doing? What are some steps they should take to 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 be in recovery in this struggle? Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I am going to recommend you know professional help if if they can access it, and I'm very aware that not everybody can access that, or that you may identify that this is a struggle for you and not have not you know be on a waiting list, or you know mm-hmm. it may take a while to get into care. Okay, so what are some things you can do immediately are to start working on it yourself? Like, really be curious. What is this doing for me? Okay, I feel better when I do this. Why? Being curious, starting to journal, examine your own cycle. Like, um, you know, Stacy, you will get this reference, but good old DBT chain analysis of yeah. like, but really looking at, okay, I have this behavioral. Okay, work backwards from there. What were my thoughts leading up to it? What triggered that? What were my sensations? What were my feelings yeah. and my emotions? And and you can download worksheets on, on self-injury online 
And you can begin to literally work through those things. There are amazing books and resources, workbooks, all of that, that you actually can do on your own while you're waiting for treatment or mm-hmm. even alongside treatment. Yeah. Um, because, you know, really identifying that cycle and those functions get you to begin to, so you can come into therapy with like, hey, this is what I'm doing. And I've learned this is a little bit about why let's start working on that. How great would that be? You're going to like jump to the head of the line um, in terms of your, your process. Um, Also developing any self-soothing techniques, anything that calms you and gives you a sense of relief that isn't the injurious behavior. Mm -hmm. So for, you know, for people that can be just like heating pads or, or ice packs or, you know, good smelling things like oils or whatever, or wrapping up in a weighted blanket, um, lighting a candle, taking a nice hot shower or bath. Um, as long as the bath is not where you self injure, that is true yeah. for a lot of people. I just say that with a, really a lot of, yeah. of, you know, so those sharps have to be away and not near the bath. If you're going to use that for self soothing, mm-hmm. just anything that is soothing to you. Um, if you are someone who is able to, you could take a walk, you could uh, take a drive again, as long as we're not having also suicidal ideation, but anything that is soothing to you, calming mm-hmm. to you, we want to calm that physiology in the same way that we would get through the self-injurious behavior. Now, that's like putting a nicotine patch on. It is not going to take away the craving. It's not going to take away the urge. It is going to get you through so you can surf and ride that urge to the next thing. I'm never going to tell you that lighting a candle and wrapping up in a blanket is going to feel as good as self-injury. Not suggesting that. It, it's not how it works. But being honest with yourself, like, okay, this isn't going to work as well, but I can layer all these different self-soothing techniques. I can journal. I can get myself an appointment for therapy. I'm doing all these things. Okay, I'm working on it. That feels better. And I think even from a lot of things we've just talked about, just even beginning to bring it to the light. So if you can share it with a friend or with your spouse or with a parent or whoever, Mm -hmm. even if that person obviously is not a professional but if they are someone you can trust and is not going to respond in some of these negative ways, that's a positive step. And I think even just one other person knowing your struggle is going to, one, provide you some 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 freedom, but also at the same time, reduce some of that shame, at least, where, you know, I got somebody else that one knows, still cares about me, still loves me, and also I can talk to. That's and so right. if I do have a bad day and I do something, cut myself, injure myself, hurt myself in some way, I can call them and talk to them. And even if that's in between therapy appointments or before I can get into a therapist, that's going to have a positive effect, I think, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, shame can't survive in the light. Yeah. So, we, so have to bring yeah. It, we have to bring it up. To that's bring it up, that's mental illness 101. That's, in many respects, Christianity 101. There's so many levels of like That is just a truth of life that God has built into our existence that we're better off if we can understand and believe that. For sure. Bring it to light. And I was just going to say one other thing of like matching uh, as you get a little bit more insight and awareness of what's going on, matching your skills to the function of the behavior. So if I know self-injury does these five things for me, what's it doing for me right now in this moment? And then having skills for each of those functions. So, oh, it's giving me relief. Here's my self-soothing skills. Oh, it's giving me distraction. Here's my distraction coping skills. Oh, it's giving me uh, a sense of like numbness. Okay. Here's what else that's healthy that numbs me out, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it's doing for you in that moment, match it with the skill. Okay. That's really, really helpful because one of the things that I can see that, that we've been talking about is that when you do get help, you do get tools. And then when you get those tools, you can go, you know what, 
no longer do I have to go back to these things. So now I am choosing to. Yeah. Um, and so we can't can't let ourselves just become so lazy in these um, actions that we will do when we get new ways, use the new ways. You know, yeah. that's on that's on in a good way us being able to just go, you know what, I am getting better because I did get tools. I'm continuing to get tools, but now I'm using those tools instead of just going, you know what, I'm just going to keep keep reverting back to the old ways. You don't have to. That's right. Stacy, out of your experience, and we, we want to be cautious. Certainly there is not an expectation or a, a, a statement of perfection in this at all. You know, one of the things we talk a lot about the podcast is out of our journey, we can we can speak to these things in the midst of the journey if we're authentic. Mm-hmm. So I, I never want to set you up with an expectation of perfection. I would say there's been progress and you've made a lot of progress in this area. But maybe what looking back on that progress, what have been even s- some important things for you that you'd say this really helped me take some steps forward? I would say some of it is just the unconditional love that I can feel instead of the judgment that I either received or I've put on myself. You know, if we can help you understand anything as people who are listening, that you don't have to be perfect in it. You don't have to say the perfect things, but there are some keywords like Deanna has been talking about too. And Doug, that you've even mentioned uh, for me to be met with condemnation. I've already done that. I've already done that to myself. I've already beat you on it. <laughs> so if you can just meet me with, Hey, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I don't know how to help you, but I can get you to help. And I'll be here through it and on the other side of it. It's so much better. Like the healing bomb I was referring to, because i that is a word picture that comes to me so, so often. We're redheads. We get sunburned. Sometimes when people talk to me, it feels like you're poking me with a needle. Some mm-hmm. people, it's aloe vera. <laughs> It's just that simple. It's just that simply put. Mm. It can hurt so bad the way people can, you know. And I think that's been really helpful for me to me, Stacey, yeah. when you've talked about how, you know, when you've used phrases like my with the mental illness, my brain hurts. Mm-hmm. And then you can almost like it just feels like that's that, you know, there's there's certain illnesses people have where your skin can just feel on fire. And and how from a mental perspective, it just you almost feel that same way in any kind of external um, stimulus just mm-hmm. just irritates that and, and mm-hmm. makes it so much worse. And so if you can, through your words, through your actions, just your presence, be, as you mm-hmm. said, that healing balm to that versus being a stimulus just picks at it mm-hmm. and, and, and stirs it up. Yeah. I think those have been really important things for you, I know, mm-hmm. in your recovery. I think for that others can maybe learn from as well. Mm-hmm. Deanna, just as we're wrapping up here, I, I had really two questions to wrap up today. And, and one is from a professional treatment perspective and others ones for you personally. But um, as you work with clients, I, I think for many families, for many people that struggle, this issue, self-harm can, can sometimes if, if, if you're really at the bottom of it can feel hopeless. So, so what are some ways you are seeing hope even as you work with clients and families Maybe just just one or two examples of how how you're seeing hope and how you're seeing people experience hope in their struggle with cutting or self-harm. Yeah, I mean, I would say probably more so than in a lot of other areas. I see 
people really be able to like give up this behavior. Mm -hmm. I really see people get to like full recovery where they are not engaging in self-injury anymore. They are just able to find other skills that work for them, but also just being able to get their needs met in other ways. They just, they're able to give it up. Um, You know, typical age of onset is 13 because you have no skills and you have no coping strategies and your hormones are going crazy and all the things. And, mm-hmm. and then if that becomes a pattern, it becomes that addictive pattern. But if we can intervene and, and even in adulthood, like intervene, I just, I, it gives me so much hope because I see just so many people in complete recovery from this. We're like, Oh yeah, I don't even, I don't even think about that as an option mm-hmm. or it might be a fleeting thought of an option. And then I just move on. Um, mm-hmm. And I get to, I get to see that quite a bit. It's much harder in, some of the other process addictions and certainly an eating disorder recovery and all those things, but not that self-injury is easy to move away from at all. But I just, I see like even more so than in any other thing, like complete recovery. And Mm -hmm. and that gives me a lot of hope. And I think for so many people, so many families, just to hear that, to hear Mm -hmm. you can get better. There is hope. Mm -hmm. There are, there are skills to all those things to get you there. I, I think sometimes someone to know that and to see examples of that is like, okay, that's, that's the light at the end of the tunnel I needed right there. Mm-hmm. Well, our other question then is what we ask almost all of our guests. And, and we love asking this question, you know, what for you is just could be in your practice, family, faith, any, really any of your life, what is giving you hope today? So um, what's giving me hope right now certainly is, um, is movement in my life. I, um, I'm a mover, I'm a dancer. And so I've just been, um, really just taking better care of myself and my body and and moving more in ways that feels joyful and good to me. Mm -hmm. And that is just giving me so much life. It's also time that's like dedicated for just me. It's not about caring for anyone else. (laughs) And And that's important with a middle schooler and an elementary school age child. That's that's critical to find that. All day. Yeah. Oh, true. Yes, exactly. All day. Mm -hmm. And so, and let's be honest, sometimes at night, because, you know, people have crises. So like, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of caring. And so this is, this is a, t- like a time for me of just, you know, moving for me or exercising me for whatever you want to call it. But for mm-hmm. me, it's joyful movement. It's certainly not about changing anything about myself or my body. It's just joyful movement. Yeah. And That's so right. that can happen. That is, that is something that also, you know, people can know, you know what, you're not doing it for any wrong reason. Right. It's totally we possible to move your body for just, just the sake of just moving sake your body. Of moving your body. Yeah. And it, but it's, it's been really nice to just take mm-hmm. better care of myself in that way and make mm-hmm. sure I have dedicated time for just being present in my body. And again, as a dancer and a mover and all of that, that's, mm-hmm. that's really important yeah. healing. Well, thank you. Well, that's that's such encouragement to all of us. Mm -hmm. And and as I, you know, Deanna, we've known you for a number of years now, and we just are so thankful one for your time to give us to talk about this 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 really I think much needed issue and topic. It's probably not addressed a lot because of the shame and just the secrecy and a lot of the just unknowns about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think, like you said earlier, anything we can bring into the light, there's help and hope and healing there. So that's that's really important. We just thank you for being a hope giver to That's us, right. to in our lives, to so, I mean, every day, every, all the time, but, but, you know, through this podcast, even you're being a hope giver to so many. Stacy, I know for you, this topic is, as we just said here, probably one of the most exhausting topics you've had to talk about mm-hmm. because it is so deeply personal. Mm-hmm. It's so woven into your story. I know even in your book, and it was probably the most difficult chapter for you to write 
in your book um, as you put that in there. But I also think, just like you said, we had several instances just this last weekend where people that we weren't even expecting it said, I got your book and this particular section is helping me or a loved one Mm -hmm. dealing with this issue of self-harm. So I think your courage to put it in there and to talk about it and to just be exhausted emotionally to deal with it is, is really bringing hope to so many people. So without putting you on the spot, I thought maybe just a great, cause I think it's so appropriate and it ties in so well to this struggle. For those who haven't heard this before, it's been a while, share what your life verse is, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. It's, I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. And, you know, as Deanna was talking, I was thinking about the fact that I cut a peach the other night with a very sharp knife and nothing crossed my mind except for cutting the peach because I wanted to taste the peach. (laughs) And I don't know that to some people is like, well, of course you cut the peach. Of course you wanted to eat the peach. That is no small feat in my life. And I write about it sometimes, but this is my first time to really talk about it. So I just think it's so, so important for people to know. I do. Or I would not have even said that we could do this one. But I just know without a doubt that the things that have been shared tonight, especially by you, Deanna, are just tools. We we have to have them. And so we appreciate it so, so much. We really do. Of course. Yeah. Happy to be here. Well, thank you to our listeners. We, we so appreciate you listening to this episode. And for many of you, we know that this may be um, a really you know, significant discussion for you, for your family. You may have people in your life, friends, family members that you know, hey, could really benefit from this. Mm-hmm. And we would encourage and invite you to share this resource with them. You know, I think every day almost I have encounters with individual people where we have a chance to share, hey, this is a resource, and and we just feel like it's something that is is needed out there, and, and maybe there's not a lot of access to things like this. And so, you know, bring some hope to somebody today by sharing the Speak Out Loud podcast, and possibly particularly this episode with someone you know that may be in need. Mm-hmm. So we referenced several times today Stacy's book, You're Worth Saving. You can find that book on our website. Our website is speakoutloud.me.me. We have greatly upgraded it this last summer. We're so thrilled to have this resource now available. There is a section on there where you can both order a copy of Stacy's book, You're Worth Saving, but also download the audible version or the audio version on Audible. And so both of those options are there for you to access it. There's, like we said, a chapter in the book dedicated to this particular topic. That chapter is called The Cutting Truth. And we have just received so much feedback so many times about how helpful a resource that has been. So we'd love for you to check that out. Follow us along on all the socials. Deanna, any any places you would encourage folks to find you online and learn more about what you do in your practice? Uh, you can go to my website, which is Deanna James Counseling. I have all my social media on private. So okay. don't follow me. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. There you go. Well, so that's a resource. I understand. That's a great resource. We downloaded some of that today even to introduce Deanna, but there's some great resources on there and how you can also connect with her, you know, if that's if that's a resource you need. We are so appreciative of your time and we know that, you know, we need hope, you need hope. And we're so thankful that we've been able to experience hope together today. Until next time, God bless you guys. We love you all. And we're out for the Speak Out Loud podcast.